Yesterday I was at a, um, <clears throat> a pastor's meeting at Calvary Chapel, Chino Valley, and um, in, in the middle of the meeting, in fact it was at the very beginning of the meeting, um, Pastor David Rosales um, just had wanted to let us know that um, Jeff Johnson was in the process of uh, transitioning, uh, graduating. Um, going home to be with the Lord. And so <clears throat> what, what that caused was a, uh, a discussion, um, just comments from different people as to how it was that Jeff Johnson had ministered to them. Uh, from Mike Rodriguez from Calvary Chapel, Corona, John Milhouse from Calvary Chapel, Reno Valley, and others who were there all had something to share about how it was that Jeff Johnson had ministered to them. Uh, one of the things that was brought up about him is how much he encouraged every, everyone, and he would use these words, just keep on keeping on. Just keep going. And, and he was a good example of that. Um, he, he continued to minister. In fact, even when he did step down from his senior pastor role at Calvary Chapel Downey, um, you know, he, he handed it off and it was a, it, it was a great um, succession, you know, and, uh, and so that was, that all went well, but he didn't stop ministering. In fact, um, what he really focused on was ministering uh, to the IDF soldiers in Israel. So uh, he wanted to continue to go out there and just pour into them. And really what, what he wanted to see and what he was serving the Lord and doing is spreading the gospel and see them coming to, to Christ. And, um, and so uh, pray for the Johnson family, um, Karen, his wife, and, uh, and his family, Pray for Calvary Chapel Downey, our brothers and sisters there. Um, it was, you know, everyone that I've seen post uh, also on social media, it's all just been a celebration of his life, an acknowledgement of his faithfulness to the Lord and how much um, he had impacted um, everyone else. And so uh, we rejoice in the time that the Lord did give him here on earth and uh, we, uh, we would only hope that we would come close to serving the Lord as faithfully as Pastor Jeff Johnson did. And so I just wanted to mention that um, as we uh, continue our study, we're going to continue to go through the book of Job. Um, but wanted to mention that in case you, you hadn't heard or, or you didn't know. But yeah, he went home to be with the Lord yesterday, a little after 3 p.m. And uh, he's in the Lord's presence. And, you know, it'll be but a moment and... We'll be there as well because life is like a, is but a vapor. You know, uh, as we get older, we realize that more and more. We think, wow, where'd the time go? And that's why we ought to redeem the time, making the best use of every day that the Lord gives us breath. And uh, it, it is truly a gift from God, and we ought to redeem that time and uh, make the most of it for His glory. And, uh, and to honor him in this life. So again, we're in Job chapter 11 is where we're at. 
Job chapter 11. We've heard, we've heard from two friends. <laughs> we've uh, heard from Eliphas, uh, we've heard from Bildad, and now this evening we're going to hear from Zophar, um, Job's third friend that we're, we're going to hear from. He's a, he's a, a Namathite. Uh, Nama is a, is a location that we don't know anything about. We don't know where it's at. Um, the only mention of Nama is in Genesis 4.22, where Nama is a descendant of Cain. As we go into this study, and, and we're only going to cover this chapter this evening, and, and this is um, Zophar's rebuke of Job. As we go into the study, we know that his first two friends and Zophar... Um, they were speaking a, a lot of truth. <clears throat> what they were saying was true, but it was unfounded and misapplied. And, I, and I'm going to keep saying that throughout our study in the book of Job because that is the way we ought to refer to what they were saying and really accusing Job of. And that is that the reason why he was found in this predicament was because of his sin. And so therefore he ought to repent. He ought to confess his sin and repent. And so as we consider the dogmatic approach of Eliphas, Bildad, and Zophar, we ought to um, really pay attention to ourselves because what I hope through this as we keep our eyes on the Lord and we know that what we're going to continually hear throughout this book are truths regarding the character of God, that he is sovereign, he is majestic, he is perfect in all his ways, he is all-knowing. We know as we as we see those things reinforced, we also need to consider how it is that these three men and friends of Job were bringing forth this accusation against Job that was without knowledge. It, it lacked understanding. They were sincere. They were genuine in their address of Job. And yet we know, according to what God said, they had it all wrong. And so what they were saying was really in ignorance and was not with proper discernment and was not wise. They can show all they want, how much they know of doctrine, of theology, how much they know of God's character. And yet, as it's misapplied and unfounded in the life of Job, it's not accurately addressed with Job. At the same time, we ought to keep an eye on Job, how he's receiving this and how he's responding to his friends as they bring these, um, they address him and bring these accusations against him and what he needs to do and even some of the things that he's called this evening, you'll, you'll see that. But keep in mind, take note 
of your own heart. That within the body of Christ, we ought to mature. We ought to not be so thin-skinned. That we ought to receive and grow and respond in a way that demonstrates our trust in the Lord, our willingness to think about things, consider the possibilities, and work through them together. As I said, uh, I believe a couple weeks ago, uh, a good friend, uh, a friend that loves you, is willing to wound you because faithful are the wounds of a friend. Profuse are the kisses of an enemy, right? We know that, according to Proverbs. But a friend that loves you is willing to wound you with the truth, but will come alongside you. A true friend will not hit and run, in other words. There's no hit and run. It's, it's hey, listen, this is the truth, but I'm going to come alongside you and we're going to work through this. And that's what a true friend will do. And if you look at these three men, the life is built out in Zophar. They're really doing that. They're not leaving Job, although they're, they're the ones that are going to be rebuked in the end. They don't leave Job. They just keep going back and forth. Zophar is only uh, mentioned twice. Uh, he addresses Job here, and then he'll address him again later. Uh, so he's, he's the one that has the least to say to Job, uh, but he's pretty dogmatic, and we'll see, we'll see that this evening. Um, something to keep in mind and something that um, the Lord brought to my attention is Galatians chapter 6, verse 1, which says, Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourselves, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself, but let each one test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor. For each one will have to bear his own load. And so keep in mind your own part. You know, take note. Uh, be fully aware. Be conscientious about how it is that you are approaching. And, uh, and just be consistent in coming alongside others. And helping them through various difficult times in life. Father, we thank you, Lord, for your word. I ask, Lord, that you would minister to us this evening. Lord, that you would teach us. That you would help us understand. That you would bring to our attention those things that need to be attended to in our own lives. Or that we may grow. That we may understand and we may apply what we have before us. And so we commit this time into your hands, Lord. We ask your blessing and pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, so we begin in Job chapter 11 in verse 1. It says, Then Zophar the Namathite answered and said, Should a multitude of words go unanswered, and a man full of talk be judged right? Should your babble silence men? And when you mock, shall no one shame you? <laughs> Zophar, he begins again, just like his other friends, really lacking any kind of um, gentleness, you could say, uh, you know, trying to soften it as he goes into addressing Job. He goes, he goes right at it, right? Wastes no time whatsoever. 
So like his other friends, he's confrontational with Job. Uh, He has a very critical point of view. And as we'll learn, we have this introduction, but we'll see how he was dogmatic about why Job was going through what he was going through. Zophar is just absolutely straight and to the point. He spoke just like his other friends, but again, he came across as really as, as, uh, as the most deep set in his criticism of Job. And we'll see it as a man of fewer words, but we'll see how he is deep set in his criticism of Job. Uh, the way he spoke to Job was as if he was irritated with Job's attempts, uh, attempts, plural, to justify himself. You know, and I thought about that, how it was that, you know, again, just being mindful of ourselves, how it is that at times we too can come to that place of being irritated, having lost our patience with someone, and being irritated by their attempts to justify themselves in their sins. If you haven't dealt with that, you're going to deal with that at some point. And this is where Zophar finds himself. He's expressing an irritation with Job. He rebukes Job for vindicating or attempting to vindicate himself over and over again. He begins by saying to him, should a multitude of words go unanswered? In other words, what he was saying is, Job is speaking, Job, you are speaking like a fool. Because speaking many words is characteristic of a fool. The the Bible, as you go through it, you're, you're going to find that that is addressed Several times as you go through. Proverbs 10.19 says, When words are many, transgressions, uh, transgression is not lacking, but whoever restrains his lips is prudent. Even a fool, when he restrains his words, is thought to be wise. And so Zophar is telling Job, listen, you're speaking as a fool. You're speaking many words. You're attempting to justify your sin, and obviously your condition and the things that have happened to you give evidence to the fact that you've done something and therefore this has come upon you. And he's saying, will a fool not be answered? Because a fool will not be vindicated. He will not be judged to be right. Zophar refers to Job's words as empty. Your words are are false boasting. It's it's idle talk. His attempt to vindicate himself is coming across as being prideful and empty. There are many words, but they have no substance whatsoever. They're of no value. He continues on, and as Job, Job is, is accused of something that is a, a serious accusation, Zophar accuses Job of even mocking God. 
And he tells them a mocker is to be shamed, confronted. A mocker is to be put in his place, not to be ignored. And so here he here is Zophar. He's he's obviously, you know, straightforward. He is irritated with Job, and, and he's telling him, Hey, listen, you are a man of many words right now. You're speaking as a fool. You have even been found to mock God. And you will be addressed. You will be put in your place. You will be confronted. Well, he goes on. His accusations continue. Verse 4 says, For you say, my doctrine is pure, and I am clean in God's eyes. Zophar is accusing Job of saying that he was, he was sinless. He hadn't sinned. Is that what Job was claiming? Was he claiming that he was sinless? He never claimed that he was sinless. Only that he doesn't know of anything that he did to deserve this type of suffering. He didn't know. Blameless is different than sinless. Blameless in the, in the manner in which Job was bringing it across was, I'm upright before the Lord right now. I don't know of anything that would deserve this kind of judgment, this kind of discipline. I don't know. I'm going to give you two verses that we've already gone through, but there are more. Job 9.2 says, but how can a man be in the right before God? This was what Job said. So he confessed He knew very well. He wasn't claiming to be sinless. In fact, this is what he said. But how can a man be right in the right before God? Well, no man can be in the right before God. He knew this very well. None is righteous. No, not one. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. He knew that. In Job chapter 9, verse 28, same chapter, verse 28. He said, I become afraid of all my suffering, for I know that you will not Hold me innocent. This is, if I speak, you're going you're to find fault in me. So we know that Job was not claiming to be sinless. And so this was something that Zophar had taken from what Job had said. And at this point, with this, this was a wrong accusation. It was a false accusation towards Job. He just wasn't knowing. Job was just, like, keep in mind, for Job, at this point, we know, because we have, we are privileged to read Job chapter 1. Job didn't have this read to him, (laughs) right? He wasn't, he didn't have that insight. And so for Job, at this moment, he was just trying to figure things out. I don't know why. But again, I don't know of anything that I have done to, to really bring me to this place of, of being judged in this way, of being disciplined. I don't know. But his friend continues on, verse 5. But oh, that God would speak and open 
his lips to you, and that he would tell you the secrets of wisdom, for he is manifold in understanding. Know then that God exacts of you less than your guilt deserves. Well, Zophar was desiring that God would speak, and so was Job. Job was, was desiring that God would speak as well. He wanted to hear from him exactly why, what is, what is happening here. Um, we desire that. There are things that we experience. And yet, if you consider Job, Job was going through this. And God was listening, but he wasn't intervening. He was letting all this play out. Of course, God very well could have intervened at any point in this conversation. He could have addressed Job. He could have addressed Zophar. In the moment, he could have stopped him right in the middle of a, a statement. But he didn't. Think about that when you're going through whatever it is that you're going through. Because what God desires that you do is that you judge your own thoughts. And you commit them to the Lord. You allow him to govern those thoughts. Why? Because it's in those moments of testing that you really come to find out exactly where you're at with the Lord. You compare that to the word of God. And what you need to do is discipline those thoughts and bring them under the governing rule and authority of God's word. Much is learned when you have the word of God and you think through certain situations. You're praying and seeking the Lord and asking him to direct you in his paths. God will indeed speak, but it'll be in his time and he will set the record straight. For now, Zophar tells Job that this judgment is actually less than he deserves. He says in that as he opens up his lips and he tells you the secrets of wisdom because he is manifold in understanding. And in other words, he understands all things. And he goes on and say, now then, uh, know then that God exacts of you less than your guilt deserves. Listen, what do we deserve? We do not deserve God's mercy. We do not deserve his grace. That's unmerited favor. Definitely not that. We know that we deserve judgment. <laughs> but thank God for his grace. But God, who is merciful and gracious, judged our sin on the cross with Jesus for us. And we now live in his eternal grace. As children of God, saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ, as we've placed our faith in him, the satisfaction of God's wrath toward us has been, it's been satisfied by the shed blood of Jesus Christ. So therefore, we have come to know God's grace in his forgiveness of our sins. We walk in his grace. And by his grace, we will enter into his glory. We do not live according to the word of God in order to 
to appease him, we simply respond to his love by willfully, by choice, abiding in Christ and walking according to his word, living our lives according to his word by the power of the Spirit that we may glorify him. Therefore, walk blamelessly and upright, fearing God and turning away from evil. So we ought to keep ourselves from the world. We're in the world, but not of the world. God should have preeminence in our lives, in every aspect of our lives. He should be our our satisfaction, our contentment, our hope, our refuge, our savior. He is the way, he is the truth, and he is the life. And we ought to live our lives in a manner that reflects that. Not because we have to, but we can, because we get to now. Listen, we don't have to worry about being eternally condemned. Therefore, as we learn the word of God, we apply it to our lives because we simply want to express our love toward the one who saved us. Well, <clears throat> Zophar, he continues to speak and uh, he goes from telling Job about his, his depravity to now speaking of God's sovereignty and his majesty. In verse 7, he says, Can you find out the deep things of God? Can you find out the limit of the Almighty? It is higher than heaven. What can you do? Deeper than Sheol. What can you know? Its measure is longer than the earth and broader than the sea. If he passes through and imprisons and summons the court, who can turn him back? For he knows worthless men. When he sees iniquity, will he not consider it? But a stupid man will get understanding when a wild donkey's colt is born a man. I often quote Isaiah 55, 8 and 9. I'll remind us of these verses again this evening. Isaiah writes in Isaiah 55, 8 and 9, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. I always tell you it's good to keep that in the forefront, in the forefront of your mind. To think about those things when you're trying to figure things out, which perhaps the Lord isn't giving you insight as to his whole purpose for allowing you to go through what you're going through. And yet, you can still trust in him. You can still walk with him. You can pay attention to the manner of your own life and how you're responding to him in the day that is called today. Don't worry about tomorrow. Yesterday has already passed. Today is a day that the Lord has given to us. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Let us walk in a manner that honors the Lord. It's a good thing to remember Isaiah 55, 8 and 9, 8 and, 9 and, and take it to heart. Can we all know the deep things of God? All of the deep things of God. The answer is a resounding no, right? Otherwise, God would not be God. 
He knows all. We do not. He is omniscient. That means that he knows all. And he knows all. We do not. Does God have a limit to what he can do? No. He can do all things. With him, all things are possible. That's not the case with with mankind. It's not the case. God is sovereign. Who can change him? No one. He is omnipotent, all-powerful, and he is immutable, which means he is unchanging. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Again, he knows all. God is omniscient. In other words, nothing escapes him. Sometimes, even the psalmist, um, he expressed in his words how it is. Why is it that the wicked prosper? Why is it that you look the other way? Listen, that's not escaping God. That's a, a, our point of view, our perspective. We're seeing that and we're thinking that the wicked are getting away with murder. That's not the case. God sees everything. Nothing escapes him. Hebrews 4.13 says, And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. So again, sometimes we get all wrapped up in what other people are doing or not doing. Especially... In, in today's day and age where information is at our fingertips and we can get it in just a moment, we can communicate and we can receive news from all over the world in real time. And we're so wrapped up in everyone else's business and then we get all upset. We get all worked up because... This is not going the way it should be going. Listen, it's all going according to plan. Rest assured, it's all going according to plan. The Lord warned us that we were going to see this in these days. So don't be anxious. Don't be worried. My God is still on the throne. He is still in control. He's working all of these things out. And when it says in Romans 8, 28, all things work together for good to those who love God and are called according to his purpose, it is true, it is certain. And so rest in him. Know that peace that surpasses all understanding. Again, redeem the day, the, the time that he's given to you. He's called us to disciple. He's called us to do the work of an evangelist to spread the gospel, to tell others the good news, just do that. And see more people come to faith and then come alongside them and teach them how to not only understand the word, but also walk in it and according to it. Listen, no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. So, Is God majestic? Absolutely. Is he sovereign? Absolutely. He's wonderful. Zophar just got done teaching Job about his depravity. (laughs) Job, you, you you are a sinner. And for Job, that was 
There was no news. <laughs> he knew he was a sinner. But now he was continuing on to, to address Job and, and telling him about God's supremacy, his preeminence. In verse 11, it says, For he knows worthless men, when he sees iniquity, will he not consider it? Zophar was teaching Job about God's righteous judgment. That God knows all, judges rightly, and what he needs to judge will not get by him. All of us could agree with that. We could say, amen, right? And that's what Zophar was bringing. But he's, he was implying something. And as we, as we continue to work through this, he's implying that this is applying to, to Job. In verse 12, he says, But a stupid man will get understanding when a wild donkey's colt is born a man. <laughs> so I love how it is that, you know, as we read through um, the Lord <clears throat> led this to be written about Zophar. Zophar is telling Job, that a stupid man has no hope of becoming wise. It's about as hopeful as waiting for a donkey to give birth to a human being. So Zophar is telling Job that he is stupid for insisting that he is innocent. And therefore he has no hope of becoming wise. If he remains in that place, he doesn't confess and repent there's as much hope for a, a donkey, donkey's colt to give birth to a man than it is for you to become wise. That's pretty direct, isn't it? Absolutely. But he continues. He's, he's not finished with his address of Job. He goes on in verse 13. He says, if you, if you prepare your heart, you will stretch out your hands toward him. If iniquity is in your hand... Put it far away and let not injustice dwell in your tents. And so he kind of he shifts how it is that he's addressing Job at this point. He's giving him the solution. Now, the word prepare, as we read here, is a word in the original Hebrew, kun, which means to establish or to make firm. And Zophar is telling Job to, hey, make your heart, establish it, make it firm in the Lord. That is, repent and return to the Lord. Establish your heart in the Lord. And if you do this, it'll be expressed by the manner in which you humble yourself before God. What he says there, as far as you will stretch out your hands toward him... Is, is a posture that communicates or it expresses a dependence upon someone to pull him out of a pit. It's, um, it's a posture of humility, of complete dependence. And that's what Zophar was telling Job. Prepare your heart. Establish your heart in the Lord. 
And then stretch out your hands. Trust in the Lord. Rely on him to bring you out of this pit that you're in. Now, if this was, if this was told to someone who is, who's in that place, if this was all that he had told him, and he would, he would have told him, hey, listen, I don't, I don't know why you're here. I, have, I don't know. I don't know of anything in your life that I could point to that would, that would really uh, serve to testify of, of why you need to confess and repent. But I, I don't know of anything. Personally, I don't. But I can tell you this. God is faithful. He is with us. Just humble yourself before him and lift your hands up. Establish your heart in him. Keep your eyes fixed upon him. For he is the one that is able to bring you up out of that pit that you find yourself in. If that was all he told him, that would have been good. Take that, and perhaps at some point, you're going to be put into a situation where you need to tell someone that very thing. I don't know, but God is faithful. He is able to pull you out of that pit. Just trust in him. Lift up your hands. He is the lifter of your head. He is near the brokenhearted. He loves you with an everlasting love. That is my God. So far as telling Job, if you do this, then his response would be to stretch out his hands toward God as a gesture of humility toward God. It's a posture of repentance. It's a, a posture of uh, requesting uh, from God his mercy. And Zophar was telling Job that if he did this, and if he repented of his sin, then, and he goes on, Verse 15, it says, Surely then you will lift up your face without blemish. You will be secure and will not fear. You will forget your misery. You will remember it as waters that have passed away, and your life will be brighter than the noonday. Its darkness will be like the morning, and you will feel secure because there is hope. You will look around and take rest in security. You will lie down, and none will make you afraid. Many will court your favor. And so, Zophar is, at this point in his address of Job, again, there's a shift. But although Zophar is correct in his address of God's mercy and willingness to forgive those who repent of their sins, his application of rebuke towards Job is again misapplied and unfounded. If only Job would repent of his sins, then he would know these things to be past him. He would get, he would get past them. If you do these things, then everything will come about in this manner, Job. And so an application specifically to Job 
This was false. It was not right. At the same time, we understand that this is something that Job desired. That his misery would run by him as waters that have passed away. And his life would return to being bright and not dark. Because that's all he was experiencing in the moment. That's what he felt. A heaviness. A darkness. Desired that that would be in the past. Like swift water that just goes by. Here one moment and gone the next. A desire to know rest. Once again, know God's favor. Oh, he was longing for that. Listen, God does not desire nor does he find pleasure in our misery. Testing, discipline, or judgment may be necessary. But God's desire is always for us to be found faithful, to mature, or to turn to him, to repent and know God's mercy and peace, God's forgiveness, God's rest, God's security. That's what he desires. Even if we are going through testing, through discipline, through judgment, all of those in God's economy serves his purpose. For God desires that none perish, but that all reach repentance. Therefore, knowing God's character and what he desires, we know that in the end, what he desires is that we find hope in him, that we can rest in him, we find peace in him, that we know salvation in him. That we come to know his faithfulness, that he is trustworthy, he's praiseworthy. That we come to know him for who he is. That's what he desires. God does desire that we know his joy and his mercy. Psalm 30 Verse 5 says, For his anger is but for a moment, and his favor is for a lifetime. Weeping may tarry for the night, but joy comes in the morning. So far, was encouraging Job to confess and repent so that he would know Job's or God's blessings once again. And, and again, you know, if it wasn't misapplied, if, if there was really something for Job to repent of, confess of, and repent, then that would be something. But th this is really good counsel for someone who is in sin. Yeah, confess and repent. Return to the Lord. These things will pass by like running water. Days will be brighter. I know that to be true. Because I remember, you know, years ago when I was walking in the world and when I came to repent of my sins and come to uh, trust in the Lord with, with my life, with eternity, with, with everything, as I surrendered my life to Jesus Christ, I knew that to be true.
perhaps uh, if that is you, then listen, that, that is what, how God's speaking to you this evening. That you would come to confess and repent of your sins. That you would come to know Jesus as Lord and Savior. You know that all your, uh, your sins are forgiven. You know God's grace. But Zophar was encouraging Job with this thing, to confess and repent, so that he would once again know God's blessings. And then, <clears throat> verse 20. It says, But the eyes of the wicked will fail. All way of escape will be lost to them, and their hope is to breathe their last. If only Zophar would have ended with verse 19. That would have been good. <laughs> but he didn't, right? He did not end it with verse 19. He went on. Uh, Job may have taken comfort in just those words. Like, man, you just started out with, with these words. And then you went on to, um, you were, I was understanding what you were saying as far as repentance is concerned and how these things we were hoping that they'd pass. But then you got to that last point. <clears throat> it was almost as if he wanted to focus attention on the unfavorable view that he takes on Job's perceived conduct and character. Now let's get back, Job. <laughs> I, I've said these things, but let's get back to what I perceive of you in your life. Okay? All of these things could be known by Job, but, but it's as if, because sometimes this is how it can come across. This is how, um, as I've gone through and, and I read several writings in regards to this portion of scripture in this particular statement, it's as if Zophar meant malice, like uh, he meant um, toward Job to condemn him. Like, I, I know I, I've said all these things, but now let's get back to you've done something, Job, deserving of this. In fact, you deserve worse. You remember I said that? Yeah. So obviously, you at this point are guilty of something. Because listen, Job, the wicked look for help, and it's not coming. The wicked look to be delivered. Hey, but listen, no deliverer is coming either. Any hope of refuge? Well, it has gone to the wayside. It has perished. The wicked's only hope, Job, is death. That's your only hope. And that's what he... That's how he ended his address of Job with those words. Again, let's keep our own hearts <clears throat> in check. It'd be good to do that, wouldn't it? To make sure that when we approach someone, we, we try to get a good understanding of where they're at. As I've said before, I'm not talking about condoning compromise or, or 
actual sin. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about coming to someone and, and understanding where they're at before the Lord. Why, why is it that you know, they find themselves in the state of mind? So far <clears throat> was right. In the way he uh, described God, but he was not right in his application of these things against his friend Job. Zophar was the youngest of Job's friends. He comes forward with his complaint against Job. He didn't appeal to a vision like Eliphaz did, nor did he rely on the wisdom of the ancients like Bildad did. Zophar defended, depended upon his own understanding and his zealous instinct of God. But his religious zeal was, was defective. His speech was eloquent, but lacked an accurate, discerning application. Well, we can come across, again, with our knowledge of theology and doctrine and all of these things, but they could be misapplied and unfounded as it pertains to that specific situation. That's where we need to be discerning. We need to pray for God's wisdom. He wanted to school Job in man's depravity and God's sovereignty as if his scholarly acumen missed its mark, and it did. That is, not Job's, but Zophar's. In fact, all three of his friends so far were shooting arrows of truth at the wrong target because they were misapplying this rebuke on a man who is actually not experiencing these calamities due to personal sin. They confidently thought they understood the situation completely and addressed Job with this confidence, but instead of it being edifying, it was bringing Job down. It was tearing at him. If even that were possible. And I, and I say that because of just Job's state of mind. At that point, he had lost everything. And so be discerning in your restoration of another. I pray that you would be wise in how you address and help someone through their difficulties, their sorrows, their pains. Even bringing them through from their sin to confession and repentance and also in their times of testing. May you be wise and discerning, long-suffering and led by the Spirit in your manner, manner of ministering to others. And remember this, with God, for those who are going through difficult seasons or difficult times in, in their lives, for you who are going through that, remember that God's mercies are new every morning. He is close to the brokenhearted. He is closer than a friend. His love never fails, even and especially in our darkest of days. A.W. Tozer said this, quote, God does his deepest work in our darkest hours. Father, we thank you, Lord, for even this example of Zophar addressing Job dogmatically, 
rebuking him for something that really um, had no substance. Or Job wasn't guilty of sin, and therefore you were judging him or disciplining him in his sin. In fact, it's quite the opposite. Lord, you were allowing Job to go through this to glorify yourself. And yet, you're going to be and are teaching Job through what we're learning through this book. You're teaching him, even him, to have a deeper faith in you. And his friends, Lord, to be more mindful of themselves. Lord, I have no doubt that they learned so much through this whole situation. And so we're thankful for, for Lord, your uh, long-suffering. That we can have an example like this to where we can see how it is that, that you, you stood seeing all of this and yet did not intervene. Not in the middle of this conversation and not the previous two. Not in the time of Job's grieving for seven days and having his friends there nor will you in the coming dialogues that uh, we're going to learn of. But Lord, your timing was perfect. And Lord, what you were desiring to teach and even teach us this evening, Lord, is to be desires of your wisdom, your discernment, that we'd be, we would be mindful of ourselves as we care for others. So, Lord, help us to do that. Fill us with your spirit. Give us your understanding and your perspective in all things that we may glorify you. We pray this in Jesus' name.